and welcome to Crosspoint in our Christmas season where we want to just slow down. We want to slow down and take a godly pause because with all of the hurry and with all of the noise and with all the crowds, we can move so fast and we just, uh, we feel like um, what God would have for us is for this, this series to be a, a godly pause for us to, to remember, for us to reflect, for us to be, to be reminded together the one who is worthy, who is worthy of our time and he's worthy of our attention and he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our, of our everything. And, uh, and to get us into what we're going to talk about today, um, I, want to, I want to show us a, a few pictures. And so I want to put a few pictures up on the screen um, just to let us know what, we are, uh, what we're talking about. Um, there are no pictures that we're going to put on the screen. Just want to talk to you about waiting today. That's what we're going to talk about. And the fact that we hate to wait. We hate to wait. Because when we're waiting, it's what you just felt. It's awkward. It's confusing. We're not sure what's going on. We're not sure why it's taking so long. We don't know how long is it going to take. But what waiting does is it reminds me that I'm not in charge. And that there are things that I'm not in control of. And there are things that I can't make happen by my own strength. We hate to wait. This past weekend, I was at a soda fountain. And there was one guy in front of me. And don't judge me. It was Coke Zero I was going for. And I'm waiting for my Coke Zero. Some of you are already judging me. I'm just going to speak to that. And I'm waiting. And there's this guy in front of me. And he is taking forever. He's like, he's making three drinks. And I'm pretty sure that is a, um, that's a violation of the Geneva Code. Um, I don't even know what the Geneva Code is, but, uh, but I'm sure in that moment, like what he's doing is not legal because he's making three drinks and they, uh, it's like he was a chemist. Like they all had to be like, the, there were different drinks and the ice had to be all at the right level. And he was just, he even took time to each one, put the lid on it just perfect. And he took like the straw to remove the paper all there at like, move bro, just move, just move over. <laughs> and as he's standing there, I'm, I'm sending signals. I'm looking at my watch and he can't even see because his back is to me, but I am, there is, uh, RPMs are going up in here. And it was in that moment that I realized there's more that's going on than just waiting for some drinks. There is this, it's what, back in 1960, there were, um, there were two cardiologists. They did some study, they did some research to, to find out, like, what was the correlation between um, heart disease and uh, type A people? And, and they found this, well, they actually, they, they termed it hurry sickness. Have you heard of this? Hurry sickness. They said it's a compelling sense of time urgency. And so these, these, uh, these researchers, they actually went and they came up with a diagnostic test to let us know if this is something that we might struggle with. If you want to know if you struggle with hurry sickness, maybe you just ask the person next to you. They might be elbowing you right now, all right? 
Um, or if you want to live in a state of denial, you can take this test and you can write down and keep your, keep your score, mark yourself. Maybe you just want to raise your hand just because confession is good for the soul, okay? So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some, te- I'm going to give you some questions. You can, you can kind of rate these. One is like you seldom do this and five is you tend to do this all the time. So I'll give you some questions. We'll move through uh, a list of 10. Uh, do you often feel rushed and behind schedule? You can also raise somebody else's hand. That's legal here. <laughs> Um, do, you all, do you have a hard time relaxing and taking breaks? Do you feel impatient and irritable when things don't go according to plan? <laughs> roll Tide. <laughs> do you, somebody just said Roll Tide. We're going to have prayer time at the end of service. We're going to lay hands on. All right. Um, do you often interrupt other people? That's the next question. <laughs> and the answer is yes, so thank you. Right on cue. We're having fun today. Do you multitask obsessively? Do you feel like you have a sense of urgency even when things don't require it? Do you feel like you have to constantly be doing something? Do you have difficulty concentrating? Do you have trouble sleeping? Do you often feel physically tense or agitated? Do you wish this test would be over so that you could find out your score? If you scored 40 or above, or if you've been elbowed during this test, chances are you deal with hurry sickness. We, we hate to wait, and in reality, we all deal with hurry sickness in some way, and Advent is the season leading up to Christmas, and Advent comes from the Latin word, which means arrival. And so you go back in historically, and you look at the church and the celebration of Advent, and it was twofold, but the, most of the focus was on the fact that Christ is returning, that we're waiting for Jesus to come back. The primary reason for Advent in the early church was to look toward Christ's arrival. It was to prepare ourselves that Jesus is returning, that just as 2,000 years ago that he showed up the first time, that Jesus is coming again to rule and to reign on the earth, that he is going to set all things right and justice and goodness, that his kingdom will come in fullness, but his kingdom is already here also. It's an already and a not yet kingdom. And so the early church knew that through a season of Advent, we would remember that he's already arrived, but that he's coming again. And Jesus, this message of waiting was the message of Jesus. In fact, he was talking with the disciples, and they were like, when is it going to happen? When are you, you going to overthrow the Romans? When are you going to bring your kingdom in fullness? And he said, he tells them, he said, it's, and they're like, when's the date? And Jesus like, only the Father knows the date. You'll have to. Wait. In Acts chapter 1, they come back to Jesus and they're like, well, so when is it going to happen? The resurrected Christ, Jesus, they're asking him, when's it going to happen? When are you going to bring the kingdom, like you, like you said? And Jesus said, well, he tells them, it's, this time, this is, it's not for you to know the times and dates that the Father has set by his authority. But he says, go to Jerusalem and Wait. Wait for what? Wait for the Holy Spirit, because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. So I want you to go to Holy Spirit, go to Jerusalem and wait. So they went up in this upper room, 120 disciples, and they waited for the Holy Spirit. Now, what's wild about this is they didn't know what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came. How would they know? I can picture that. They waited for 10 days before it happened. I picture them waiting. Was that it? 
Was that the Holy Spirit? Like, they didn't know. How would they know when the Holy Spirit came? But then they knew when the Holy Spirit arrived. Tongues of fire and a mighty wind. They knew other languages. They knew when the Holy Spirit showed up. And they received a boldness and a courage and the Prince of Peace. They received the same peace that Jesus lived with. They knew in their hearts. They knew when the Holy Spirit showed up. As they received the Holy Spirit and the church was birthed, was born in that upper room. And the Holy Spirit empowered those disciples to be witnesses, to help people find and follow Jesus. But the Holy Spirit also helps us to wait, because we're waiting for Christ's return. And reality is we don't think about Jesus' return all that much, if we're honest. I mean, in other countries where there is persecution, they think of Jesus' return all the time. Where there is great suffering, we often think of Christ's return. But I think it's possible to get so overwhelmed with the hurry and the worry and the chaos and even the pleasures of this world that we don't think of Christ's return. And we need Advent. We need to slow down and be reminded of the return of Christ, that Jesus is returning, just as he said he would. And we can learn a lot from our spiritual fathers and mothers about what it means to wait and how to wait. We need mentors in waiting. Lewis Smead's great author, he wrote this. He says, waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. We wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. And all of us in some way or another are in a waiting season. Somebody today, you're waiting for a job or waiting for a promotion or waiting for a song that's on hold to be picked up or waiting for a deal to go through, maybe waiting to graduate or waiting to get accepted at that school or waiting for community and for relationships, maybe waiting for a relationship that's estranged to be restored. Maybe you're waiting for a, for a date or waiting for an engagement, waiting for a ring, maybe waiting for a child or Maybe waiting for a breakthrough with an addiction or waiting for deep anxiety or deep depression for the depression to lift. Or maybe you're waiting to get out of prison or you're waiting for parole or waiting for a loved one to find Christ or waiting for a prodigal son or daughter to return. Or, or maybe it's about health physically, maybe waiting for a diagnosis or waiting for a healing or waiting for things to be made whole. We're all waiting for something and waiting is it's our destiny. It's part of our story. It's part of the story you can go through and you read this book and many, and what you'll find is that, is that this book is a book about waiting. Over and over we see people in this book at waiting. You go back and you look at the very beginning and you see God tells Adam and Eve after they sin, he gives them this promise. He, he tells them that one day a child will be born and the evil one would strike his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. Theologians tell us that this is the first promise, this is the first prophecy of the Messiah that will come, that one day they will, God will send his son who will set us free, who will ransom us, who will redeem us, that there will be one who will, who will do away with evil forever and, and bring his kingdom, that one day the enemy will be defeated. This messianic prophecy and promise is given. It's going to happen, but you'll have to wait. Abraham, you'll have... A son, you'll be the father of a nation. 
but you'll have to wait. Isaac had to wait 20 years before he had a child. Jacob had to wait. Joseph had to wait in prison. Israel waits 400 years as slaves in Egypt. They had to wait. David gets anointed king, but has to wait 13 years. Jesus, the Messiah, is born. All of Israel rejoices, or the people who began to know, they rejoiced, but they had to wait 30 years for his ministry to begin. Charles Spurgeon said, the Lord's people have always been awaiting people. And so waiting is part of our story collectively, but when it's part of our story individually, we can feel like we're the only one. We feel like we're all alone. And sometimes the heart break, the heart ache, increases when we look at other people who have the thing that we're waiting for. The friend who got the promotion or got the job. The loved one who got the baby or the child. The neighbor who got the house. We look around and and, and Instagram and social media doesn't help with this. Algorithm. The algorithm shoulds on us. I said should. It shoulds on us in that you should be further along than you are right now. You should be married by now. You should be with kids by now. You should be better off financially now. And it stirs up in us. Put shame on us. This is not your heavenly father. God loves you. He has a plan for you. He is working in your life. Even in the waiting, he is working. And God wants you to know that he is pursuing you, that he loves you, and that you can trust him in his timing. That you can trust him in his timing over your life. And so in this Advent season, I want to encourage you to just Maybe even just take your watch off some. Say, God, I'm going to trust your timing. Some of you are saying, well, I don't wear a watch. Your internal clock. <laughs> if we just set that aside and say, God, I trust you. You are worthy of my time. You're worthy of my plans. You're worthy of my resources. You're worthy of my future. You're worthy of my hopes. You're worthy of my dreams. I trust you. I trust you. Some of you are getting nervous that I took my watch off and I'm still preaching. You're like, how long are we going to be here? That's exactly what we're talking about today. Because we're talking about do you merely believe in God? The question is, do you trust him? It's not just a mental assent to some doctrines or some belief statements, but do you trust him? You can trust him. He is faithful. That his promises are sure and secure that he will make good on his promises. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and has a plan for you. But this hurry sickness causes us to doubt his timing. Isaiah gives this word in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. He says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. That's hurry sickness. <laughs> and God's calling us to repentance, to return to him, to rest, to trust in him, that that's where our salvation comes from. Wrote this down. 
Your waiting time is not wasted time. That even while you're waiting, God is working. I love how author John Ortberg writes this. He says, what God does in us while we wait is as important as what it is we are waiting for. So today I want us to learn from a couple spiritual mothers, or spiritual mother, spiritual father about waiting. I want us to look at Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. And we're gonna look at, uh, at spiritual mother, spiritual father, Anna and Simeon. See what they can teach us about waiting. We're gonna pick up in verse 22. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, Torah required them that when they had a firstborn child that they would take that child to the temple to be consecrated, to be dedicated, part of the purification rites. And part of that was um, part of that was circumcision. The other part was a sacrifice. And so normally they would bring the sacrifice of a lamb. But here they brought two pigeons, two doves. They brought two birds. Why did they bring two birds? Why didn't they bring the lamb as was required in the, in the law? It was because there was a concession in the law for those who couldn't afford a lamb to bring two pigeons or two doves. Which, just think about this. It means that when God sent his son, the part of the sovereign plan would be that he would be entrusted to a couple of teenagers who were in poverty. I mean, just think about the security, like the sovereignty of God. God is so secure in his sovereignty that when he entrusts his son, trusted Mary and Joseph, where they couldn't even make ends meet. And God brings him, and, and what I love about this is just this, the love of God cutting through socioeconomic barriers. It's saying that, that the plan and the redemption is not just for those who were in power and for those who have much, it's for all. And so Jesus enters this world into this family, Mary and Joseph, they, they, they bring together what they have. They do the next right thing, and they go in the Son of God into the margins of society. They bring Jesus to the temple. Now, when they get there, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting. He was what? He was waiting. Waiting for what? The consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There also was a prophet 
Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, of of Jerusalem. I think Simeon and Anna would remind us, they would remind us this, that Jesus is worth waiting for. That God's plan is worth waiting for. I want them to be mentors in our waiting, however we're waiting in life, but they want us to know that God keeps his word. See, the temple represented the presence of God. It was, it was the place where, where God's spirit and presence dwelled. It was a place that kept hope alive. And the nation of Israel, they would travel back to the temple. They would go back to the temple for these festivals three times a year. Mary and Joseph, they're doing the next right thing. They're going to the temple to consecrate, to dedicate Jesus, their son, And the past 40 days have been a whirlwind. I mean, just think about this. Shepherds, angels, telling them this is the Messiah. Their heads are spinning. They're like, are we crazy? And they're just going to the temple to go do the thing that that the law required them to do. And when they get there, this man Simeon comes out. And what is it? He, He lets them know. Simeon says, this is him. This is the one. It says he held him and sang a song. I was thinking about this. I like to think that he held them like this. But maybe he held him like this. Like maybe, I don't know. We don't know how he held him. But like maybe, like maybe Simeon is the real Rafiki, right? I mean, this is, maybe the Lion King ripped off Luke. I mean, this is, but we say this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for our entire lives. And what does this story teach us about how to wait in our stories? What does this story teach us how to wait in our stories? What wisdom can we gain from these mentors of waiting, Simeon and Anna? The first is, if you're taking notes, keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep showing up every single day. Like, that's what they did. They, they kept showing up every day. We don't know how long Simeon and Anna were waiting. It, it could have been days. It could have been months likely years, decades, that they kept showing up. At some point, Simeon could have said, you know what, this is ridiculous. (laughs) Hey, I'm looking like a fool. He's never gonna come. And he could have stopped. And if he did, he would have missed the moment that he was created for. He just kept showing up. Beth Moore, um, she writes about showing up. She said, oftentimes a long marriage is built on just giving it one more day. That's good. Oftentimes a long marriage is built on just giving it one more day. Just keep showing up one more day. If you want to build anything that matters, it's just show up one more day. You want to build a great marriage, you want to build a great family, build into your kids, build a great company, career, a life of recovery. Just keep showing up one more day, one day at a time. And I want you to notice that um, Anna didn't let her pain, her grief, her loss, or her suffering keep her from experiencing God's best. See, oftentimes pain and suffering can be a wedge that either drives us toward God or drives us away from God. And the loss and the suffering drove her toward God. And so she was in a position to receive from God when the moment came. Anna 
kept showing up. Simeon kept showing up. Number two, if you're taking notes, you write this down. Wisdom in the waiting. Stay attuned to the Spirit. Stay attuned to the Spirit. In verse 25, it says the Spirit was on Simeon. See, in the Old Covenant, the Spirit would be on people, on prophets and priests and kings. The Spirit would be on people to do the thing that they were called to do. In the New Covenant, the Spirit dwells in us. So in the same way that God's Spirit dwelled in the temple, God doesn't live in temples made by hand. He lives in the temple that he made. When we're followers of Jesus, we put our trust in Jesus. God's Spirit dwells in us. And so his spirit leads us and guides us, gives us revelation. In verse 26, it says, you will not die before you see the Messiah. The spirit gave him revelation, told him things that he needed to know. In verse 27, the Holy Spirit brings guidance. He was moved by the spirit into the temple court. So what this means is he was sitting in a room and he was waiting. And then he gets this prompt, this nudge that you should go into the temple courts. So he gets this nudge by the Spirit of God, goes in the temple courts, sees Mary and Joseph. And in that moment, that response, that, that nudge, and I was thinking about this, I was like, man, we've received revelation from God. But just because we've received revelation in the past from God, it doesn't absolve us from current obedience to the prompts in the presence. And so God will give us revelation. He will tell us things that we need to know, but then he'll also give us guidance. And this is why we need a godly pause every single day. This is why we need to pause and meet God in his word, because every day God has revelation for you and he has guidance for you. And we can't do this in a hurry. <laughs> we can't pray in a hurry. We can't read in a hurry. God is not, he's not a vending machine. He's not a GPS. Jesus is a person. And so we, we slow down, we take a godly pause and we, we meet with him. If we want to wait well, it requires staying attuned to the Spirit. Number three, worship in your waiting. Worship in your waiting. Verse 38 tells us that Anna worshiped night and day. Now, there are a lot of different, kind of, a lot of different ways to worship. We can worship through, through prayer. We worship through music, through art, through giving, through obedience, through nature, through serving. It says Simeon worshiped through singing. Simeon sings. He holds Jesus and he sings the song. Now, it's possible. It's possible that he just made up this song, it was just a spontaneous, I gotta be careful with this hand when I'm holding Jesus, I just, I realize some. <laughs> Simeon's holding Jesus, and it's possible that he sings this song just spontaneous. But it's more likely that this was a song that he carried in his heart. That this was a song that Simeon carried in his heart for the moment because he received the revelation when he would meet the Christ, when he would see the Savior, the, the Redeemer of all mankind, when he would hold the Messiah, that he had a song in his heart ready for that moment. I was talking with Pastor Dewan Hill, and he was saying, Kevin, it's important that we sing what we feel, but it's even more important that we sing what we believe and we sing what is true. That we're able to, to look out and to, and to see what is true, and we sing that. And when we worship through song, when we do that in that moment, when we sing what is true, the way that God has wired us, singing is a left brain and a right brain activity. It involves both sides of our that brain. And so what that means is that when we sing, when we worship, when we sing to God, that worship and worry cannot coexist. That we can't sing to God and be anxious at the same time. 
That when we're, when we're present and we're singing to God, that we receive his peace and that he meets us in that. And if we want to wait well, well, we've got to worship in our waiting. And then the fourth one, if you're taking notes, I don't know if you'll like this one, but if we want to wait well, we have to step away from the table. Simeon was righteous and devout, and Anna fasted and prayed, and fasting is intentionally stepping away from the table. <laughs> and fasting is not real popular. Like, it is not real popular. It's not my favorite spiritual discipline. Fasting is giving up food for a meal, for a day, periodically, so that we can set our focus on God. And it's powerful. In the early church, in Advent, they would fast. They'd pick a meal and fast. They'd pick a day and fast. They'd pick a period of time and fast. And with all of the feasting, choose to fast. And when we fast, it, it's, it's powerful because um, it almost slows time down <laughs> for us to attend to the things of the heart. Things of the heart that we don't attend to because we're so busy and because we tend to eat our feelings. And it allows us to slow down and to see what's really going on in here. It's powerful. Reese says, when we fast, she said, nothing is too important and nothing's unimportant. It just has a way of calibrating and regulating the, the soul. And the early church would fast. They would fast from food. We can fast from anything. This Advent, I'm fasting from Hallmark movies. I'm choosing that as my, I know it's a sacrifice. It is a, it is a sacrifice for me. And uh, no, Re won't let me fast from Hallmark movies. But I just want to encourage you to pick, to pick a time to, to, to fast so that we can just, we can slow down and attend to our hearts to be ready for Christ's return. We're putting our trust in God. I'll close with this story. Um, Ten years ago, um, I was reading a book by Daniel Goldman. It was a book called Emotional Intelligence. And in that book, he tells about a test called the Marshmallow Test. It was a test about waiting. What some researchers did at um, Stanford is they went and they've got some four-year-olds and they took four-year-olds into a room and they put a marshmallow on a plate and they told these four-year-olds that if they did not eat the marshmallow for five minutes, they sat and looked at it, they did not eat the marshmallow, but when they came back, if the marshmallow was still there, they would be rewarded with two marshmallows. And so they just, they, after they did this test, all these kids, they put them in two groups. One was the grab the marshmallow now group and the other was the wait for the second marshmallow group. And they, for 25 years, they monitored them. And here's what they found. They found that the kids who waited, delayed gratification, at age four grew up more socially competent, confident, able to make better decisions. They developed higher self-esteem, had higher SAT scores, earned more, and were more able to persist than the grab the marshmallow now kids. As I'm reading this, I'm like, man, this is fascinating stuff. And then I had this thought. I was at my in-law's house. I was like, you know what? I've got a four-year-old, and you know what? I think there's some marshmallows in the house. I'm gonna do an experiment. And so I went and got Bolton, who was four at the time, and I took him upstairs into one of the bedrooms, and I conducted the, the experiment. And I put my camera, hid my camera to see what, you wanna see what he did? You wanna see? Oh, if you don't, it's all right, we'll just close it. Oh, you do? Okay. Um, you're not that much in a hurry. Thank you for, uh, for being well. Um, I want to show you what Bolton did with this marshmallow, marshmallow test. Check this out. Do you like marshmallows? 
Okay, on your plate is a marshmallow, okay? Mm -hmm. And here's what's going to happen. You can eat that marshmallow, or you can wait five minutes, and after five minutes, we'll come back. And if you wait five minutes and don't eat the marshmallow, we'll give you two marshmallows. Okay. Do you want one marshmallow or two marshmallows? Two. Okay, so we're going to leave you in here, and we'll see what you do, okay? It's still there. Yeah. You want to? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so good. Now the real test is while I was waiting, I was so anxious because like his entire life was at stake. You know what he did with the marshmallow. But I walk in, I was so relieved to see the marshmallow was still there. I've been, I've reflected on that and thought on that, and I thought, man, we have a lot to learn from a four-year-old. Did you see what he did? He got under the table. As a four-year-old, he even understood that it's easier to wait when you're not staring at the thing that you're trying to avoid. Forty-year-olds can learn from a four-year-old. We can all learn from a four-year-old. Sometimes it's stepping away from the table. Other times it's getting under the table. And to get on our face and to fast and pray and say, God, I need your grace. I need your strength. I need your power. I need the Holy Spirit to help me wait. Because what God does in the wait is just as important as what we're waiting for. Do you also notice that Bolton trusted? He trusted me. He trusted that I would return, that I was coming back. When you're four years old, five minutes feels like forever. But he trusted that I was returning and that he would be rewarded. And as followers of Jesus, we trust that he is returning. And that we will be rewarded. That there will be a reward for how we wait. Now, there's one thing that we don't have to wait for. And that's inviting other people to find the hope of Jesus. And so when you leave today, we're going to have invitations. And I want to encourage you to take one of these and to ask God to help you see people that he's put around you. I mean, our prayer as a church, God, would you reach Middle Tennessee? Would you reach Middle Tennessee with the gospel? But you know how God reaches Middle Tennessee with the gospel? One person at a time. One barista at a time. One family member at a time. One friend at a time. One neighbor at a time. And it's us asking God, this Christmas Eve, because we realize one of the main reasons that people don't come to church at Christmas is because they're not invited. And so we want to extend an invitation. Well, there are a lot of things that we have to wait for. What did Anna do? She started telling everybody Jesus was here because we talk about what we value. We talk about what matters. We have an opportunity to extend these invitations. These will be handed on the way out. Before we leave, I wanna lead you in a prayer. And I wanna invite you into a prayer. In fact, when I finish praying at all of our campuses, we'll have prayer teams that'll be down front. We'd love to pray with you. If you're in a waiting season, if you're asking God for a miracle, if you want somebody to be, we want you to know you're not alone in your waiting. So we'd love to pray with you. But before we enter into that moment, um, I do want to lead you in a prayer because I believe there are some where, uh, where maybe you're looking at this and you're going, you know what? I need God's forgiveness. I need to begin a relationship. You don't have to wait. There are things we have to wait for, but you don't have to wait to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength. Today can be the day that you put your faith and hope in Jesus. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Maybe you look at at your life and there's regret. Maybe you look at your life and you say, I've made a mess of things. You are the one that Jesus came for. He came for you. Gave his life on the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made new. And so if today, if you want to be made new, if you want to begin to follow Jesus, if you want to begin to know him, to live life with him, you don't have to wait for that. You just pray something like this. Father, thank you for loving me. Just repeat after me. Whisper your prayer. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I put my trust in Jesus. That he died on the cross for my sin and was raised to give me new life. And I give my life to you. Father, I thank you for those that made that their prayer today. Oh, would you give them the grace to have a conversation, to share with somebody, maybe one of our prayer team down front, decisions they made. And God, would you give us all the grace to wait like Simeon and Anna and to have eyes to see you, Jesus, when you show up, to give you praise and to give you glory, but to have grace in the waiting. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 On your way out today, grab an invitation. Let's be looking for who God would have us invite this season. We'll see you next week.